Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. How many of us understand that now because we're here today on Sunday that it means that Friday was worth it? Sunday means that Friday was worth it. I'm so, uh, I'm so excited about this day and I get to be excited about this. I get to look forward to this day. You know why? Because I already know the ending. Because I already know what was going to happen. I knew that Jesus was going to be uh, raised from the dead because it happened after I was born. But can we spare a thought this morning maybe for some of those disciples who uh, had absolutely no idea that that was happening. In fact, uh, when Jesus died, their hopes died with Him. They were not ready for what Jesus was about to do. In fact, when Jesus died and was buried, they thought that this is the end, that you know, nothing more is going to happen, that our hopes have died with Him. I know some people feel like that. This is probably going to help someone here today. Sometimes you just need to wait and see what God's about to do. You just need to wait and see what God's about to do. I don't know if you ever found yourself in a situation, maybe like the disciples, but sometimes you need to take your situation or your circumstance and you just place it in God's hands and you just leave it with Him and you see what God does with your life when you just hand it over to Him. I want to tell you the story, the second half of the story of Easter. If you were here Good Friday, uh, I'm so glad you would. You heard the first half of this message. If you were not here on Friday, I would encourage you, we, I think we're going to podcast that or something, go back and listen to it because you're going to get the second half today. But it probably makes more sense if you heard the first half. But I want to tell you the story of what happened. So on Friday, uh, Jesus uh, died on the cross and He paid uh, the penalty for our sins. Now He died on the cross and, you know, it was getting late. It was, it was Friday. And if you understand this, you'll know that on the Saturday is the Sabbath. And they start that, that comes into effect really at sundown. So, you know, here Jesus is, He's dying in the afternoon. They don't have a really big window of time here, do they? They've got to wrap Him and, you know, and cover Him in the spices and so forth and embalm Him as they did. Did you know that they embalmed Him in about 34 kilos worth of uh, uh, spices and so forth when they wrapped him. There's no chance he's getting up from that and walking out on his own. And so they wrapped him up and they, they had to do it quickly. And a couple of guys did that. They laid him in a tomb and then it was the Sabbath. No one did anything Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, what happened is, is that some of the women, they had prepared some more spices to go down to the tomb. Now, I don't know why they decided to do it again. Maybe because they thought a man did this. And if you want to do it right. Anyway, so, so they decided that they were going to go down. Maybe just correct any mistakes that the men made. Maybe they were thinking, oh man, these guys were so rushed. Let's just go back and just make sure that they didn't miss any of the hard to reach places. I don't know. Anyway, so they, they, they're going back and they're going to uh, do the job again. So when they get down to see Jesus, right, they, they come to the tomb and they look in, except they don't find anyone in the tomb. They're kind of a little bit concerned about what they're looking at. And suddenly these two angels appear in dazzling apparel. Doesn't that sound awesome? I wish I owned some of that. 
dazzling apparel. It like shines. It's got like light that comes out of it. And so here they are in dazzling apparel and they turn and they said to uh, the women, they said to the Marys and Joanna, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And so they said, he's not here. Don't you remember everything that Jesus told you that he would have to suffer at the hands of sinful people and that he would be crucified or he would uh, die. And then on the third day that he would be raised up, he would rise again. And, and so then they remember this and they hear this and they go, we got to go tell the disciples about it because remember, they're devastated. So they go and they rush back and they, they tell the disciples this incredible thing that has happened. The problem is, is that, and don't shoot me, but the problem is, is that they're women. And so they tell this story, except in the culture and in the day, a woman's testimony wasn't reliable. Did you know that a woman couldn't make a court appearance and give evidence in any kind of case? So they hear what women's, oh, I'm so glad times have changed. Anyway, I just had to put that in there so you don't hate on me. And, and, and so they tell the disciples and they hear what they say. And they said, this doesn't sound right. This sounds crazy. But Peter, he heard what the women shared and he said, I've got to go check this out for myself. So he takes off and he's running to the tomb. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John takes off after him. And we don't hear this in Luke's account, but John, he, in the Gospel of John, he writes this about himself. I think he may be dealing with a pride issue. He says he outran Peter. I don't know why you need to put that in there. Why would you tell anybody that? Say, I'm a little bit quicker. I'm lighter on my feet, you know. I do picture Peter as like a, I kind of think that when, when Peter would laugh, everyone would stop. You know, you've got that friend, you're celebrating, and then they laugh and the, all the other tables in the restaurant go, who is that table? Who's that guy over there? I kind of picture that's like Peter. So he's big and he's jolly. He's laughing. He's a little bit slower. The disciple whom Jesus loves, he outruns him and he gets to the temple first and he looks in and Peter catches up and Peter stoops down and he goes in and he doesn't see him in there. And it says that when John saw him, he, when, when John saw the absence of him, he realized what had happened. He realized that Jesus would not be found in there. That in fact, that he had been resurrected that, that he would never be found in a tomb with buried with dead people. And I hear that story. I think this is the greatest story you will ever hear in your life. I don't know what kind of stories you've heard in your life, but the gospel is the most outrageously positive, encouraging, inspiring, motivating story you will ever hear in your life. And the disciples, they discovered something that we have held to be true to our hearts. They have discovered something, which is that Jesus' death meant our life. Jesus' death, it meant our life. You see, what happened to Jesus, it marked the beginning of something new. It marked the beginning of something that was new. That's why we do the eggs on Easter Sunday, because it represents new life. I sat down with my kids this morning and I'm trying to explain the, the gospel message to them again. I tell them on a regular basis and they are just not interested 
in what I have to say because we have Netflix. And so they're not really paying attention to me. And, and, and Sarah, she comes to me and she's, she's so sweet. She sort of says, sweetheart, you're really taking a long time to tell them this. Yeah, I said, well, I know it's important. I said, I'm, I'm going somewhere. And I couldn't get their attention back. So I knew the buzzword. I said, look, you got Easter eggs. There's an Easter hunt. Just go and do the thing. They're like, oh my gosh, the excitement of Easter came to life with the, with the sound of Easter eggs. Chocolate is all I had to say. And suddenly they were all, all excited, you know. And that's why we do the eggs. That's why we do all that stuff because it's actually representing new life. Did you know that, and this probably isn't lost on you, anyone can actually die for something that they believe in. In fact, that message wouldn't be lost on anyone, I think, on a global platform this week. We'll be very well aware that people will die for what they believe in, but only, only one person has ever been resurrected because they died for what they believe in. Only Jesus has been resurrected in this way. Did you know that Jesus actually appeared to 500 people and all at the same time after He was died and resurrected? He would just pop up all over the place and be speaking to people. And at the time when this was written, it was a time when those people were still alive. So if you read this account and if you were reading this story and you'd say, well, I don't know if that's true. It's like, well, you could go to that village and you could ask and you say, well, I heard this story that this Jesus, that He resurrected and came back to life. And is it true that He really did appear to 500 people? And they would say, yes, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. It was amazing when Jesus was resurrected. It was not just some kind of spiritual sort of see-throughy, wish-washy thing that they go, well, did they really see that? Now, maybe they thought they saw something. No, it was, a, it was a physical and bodily resurrection. In fact, this is what Jesus said. He said, spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus, when He was resurrected, it was physical, it was bodily. And this is what Paul says about Jesus' resurrection. It says that He was the first fruits of a new kind of human life. Man, this is gonna make your brain hurt in a minute. Now, I don't know if we have any farmers here today or anybody that likes to plant, you know, orchards and all the rest of it. But let me explain this idea of first fruits to you so it's not lost on you today. When they said that Jesus was the first fruits, if you, if you uh, own an orchard, you want to know if the fruit is ripe to be eaten or consumed, right? So you would go and you take that first apple and you take a bite out of that apple and the bite of the apple that you try is an indication of what the rest of the orchard is going to be like. So when they say that Jesus is the first fruits, they say He is the forecoming of something that's about to happen to everyone else. They said that He is the first fruits. You understand what this means? It means that what happened to Jesus, in other words, this physical and bodily resurrection, that what happened to Him is going to happen to everyone that believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I think that's absolutely outrageous. If I take a seed and I uh, want to plant something, I, I put that seed in the ground. And in order for something new to sprout out of it, the seed has to die and something new has to take its place. If I, if I plant a seed and it starts to grow something and I come back later and I'm like, I want to find that seed. You do realize I'll be looking for a long time because the seed is gone, right? Well, what's replaced it? 
Well, what's replaced the seed is a tree, but the seed had to die for the tree to come forth. Can I tell you what actually died in the resurrection? Humanity's failed attempt at being perfect. That's what died. You see, Jesus or God, He went to great effort to explain a very important truth to us. After Adam had sinned and sin had entered into the world, He gave people the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, after that came the law. Six hundred and thirteen commandments. And if you break one, it's as if you've broken them all. The expectation is that if you want to do life and do it on your own, without the aid or without the help of God, good luck. I can't even remember three things when I grow to pick up the groceries. I'm always get the order wrong when my wife says to me, can you go pick up three things? I'll come back with two wrong items every time. I promise you that. How am I supposed to remember 613 commandments? Man, I can't do it. You know what Paul said about the commandments? He said the commandment that was supposed to bring me life was the very thing that brought me death. Because when Jesus said, or when God said to Israel, hey, if you want to do this on your own and do it right, you have to get everything perfect. It taught people, it taught humanity one very important truth, which is that sin had mastered humanity which is this, and let me, let, let's just hit this home for you today. You are no match for the issue of sin. You're no match for sin. It is your number one and biggest problem if you don't deal with it. And so the Ten Commandments and the law and all these things, they taught people that we're no match for sin. So you know what died? Our attempt at trying to be perfect, to earn our way, to get close to God. That's what died. The seed died. Something grew up in its place. Do you know what grew up in its place? Jesus' perfect life. His perfect life is what took the place of our failed attempts. And if I was to use a word, a, a, a word that we might sometimes use in church, I'll explain it in a second. It's this word called justification. It's the most beautiful word you've ever heard. See what justification means is it means that Jesus came and He died the death we should have died, but He lived the life we should have lived. And after He died, there was a exchange that took place. After He was died and buried and resurrected, this is what He did. He said, okay, so the perfect life that I lived, I'm going to give you that. And what I'm going to take from you is the death that is due to you, the penalty of sin. I'm going to take that. And so what happens is He gave us His perfect life. Now, if you don't understand the implications of this, it is it is huge. It is immense. It means that since, I want you to think about it like a coat that you wear, a jacket that you put on. You put on Jesus' perfect life so that when you come to God, you don't have to have all the guilt and the shame and all the issues that come with not being perfect. Actually, when you put on what Jesus gave to you, when you put on His righteous life in place of your own sinful one, when you put that on, you can come to Him. And what should you expect to find from God except that grace and mercy in your time of need? Why? Why do you get all of that? Because this is what Jesus actually gave to you. Don't you love that God loves you so much that He wasn't prepared to leave you the way you came to Him? 
Don't you love that God loved you so much that He was never gonna leave you in the state in which He found you? That's not what God does. Don't you love the fact that Jesus stepped out from heaven into darkness to reach into your life, to begin to make a change in you? That He reached into you and says, I'm gonna fix something in your life. I'm gonna change something. I'm not gonna leave you the way that I found you. I'm doing something amazing in your life. And this is what He did. He reached into people and He said, I'm gonna make you new. I'm gonna make you a new creation. I'm gonna make you new. And he said, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said that the old has gone and that something new has come. You know, the old thing that was gone, it's all your junk. It's all your failures. It's all the stuff that you messed up. It's your broken relationships. It's your guilt, it's your shame and all of that stuff. He said, all the stuff that would make you dysfunctional, all the stuff that would seek to ruin your life, all the imperfections, all of that, all of that is gone. But something new has come. Something new has come. Oh man, I love that God made you a new creation. I think this is the best message you've ever heard. And this is the best part about it. It's that it wasn't for some time in the future. You see, Jesus' death, dying on the cross, being resurrected for you. It's not something that comes on your death. It's not something that becomes effective on your death. If you believe that Jesus has died for your sins and you're just waiting for that to come in real handy around the same time that you expire, you've missed the whole point. You've missed a whole heap of everything. You see, Jesus, when He came and He died on the cross, He came to bring you life and life abundant, which means that that is in the here and that is the now. So you don't have to wait for the good stuff later on. It's actually for you in the here and the now. When you believe the Easter message, it transforms you from the inside out. There was a man in the Bible, the artist formerly known as Saul. His name is Paul. And Paul was a guy, he actually... Just so you know, he didn't change names when he became a Christian. He always had two names. It's just that one was his Jewish name and one was his Roman citizenship name. And so he had two names the whole time. But he's known as Saul when you read the Bible up until the point that he has this conversion experience. See, Paul hates Christians. He hates what they stand for. In fact, they weren't even called Christians then. They were called believers of something called the way. And so he says, we got to get rid of these guys. And so he has gone and seen the elders and everyone that he needs to see. And he's got papers that means that he can go into people's homes and drag them out and arrest them. And he's on his way to Damascus to do this very thing. And he has an encounter. And this bright light shines and he falls off his horse and he's like, you know, he can't see properly. And he hears a voice and it says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the people that I love? Why are you going after them? And he's like, who is this? And he says, I'm Jesus. 
I'm the person who you're, who, who you're going after. I'm the one that you really hate. And the people that you're going after, these are the people that, fo- that are followers of me. And so when he has this incredible experience and encounter with Jesus on the way to destroy some people's lives, it changes him radically. That's what happens when people encounter Jesus. It changes them from the inside out. Paul becomes something new. And it's so clear to see because after he has that experience, his entire life is transformed. See, Jesus reached into Paul today and he changed something. And he said, I'm not gonna leave you the way that you are. I'm not gonna let you continue to believe these lies anymore. I'm gonna reach into your life. I'm gonna make you something new. I'm gonna transform you. Man, you gotta know something today. You gotta know that Jesus went through the pain of Easter because you were worth making new. He went through the pain of the cross because you were worth making new. And if you don't realise that what He did is for the here and the now. You will have missed one of the most important parts of the resurrection, which is this. Are you ready? No, you're not. You're not ready. Are you ready? I believed you that time. The new you has a job to do. I'm serious. The new you has a job to do. I want to read a scripture to you. We looked at the first half of this Uh, on Good Friday. I'm going to read the first half and then we're going to keep going with it. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21, that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, the flesh is really your human nature apart from God's divine influence, which is prone to sin and opposed to God. I'm going to say that again, just so you get me. Your human nature is basically how you come to God before His influence in your life takes effect. It's prone to sin. And you may have not realized this, but actually the way that you come to Him, the way that you're born automatically is actually opposed to God. That's what your human nature is like. It says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, which means that He restored our relationship with God when He did this thing on the cross, who reconciled, who restored us to Himself, and He gave us something When that happened, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what Jesus did for us, He said, I want you to start doing that for other people. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world. How many of us know that God desires for all to be saved? He said that He was reconciling the whole world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's us. If you come here and you believe in Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now for our sake, 
He, being God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Okay, let me rephrase that so you know what it says. It says, God sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sin, even though He never sinned, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Are you with me so far? This is amazing stuff. Jesus died, He reconciled us, then He comes to us and He says, I want you to begin to do what I did for other people. I want you to begin to speak to people about this thing called the ministry of reconciliation. You see, new creations have new purpose. New creations have new purpose. Did you know that when Jesus was on the earth, after he was baptized, it says that he walked out into the desert. He was led out into the desert. And while he's out there, he goes through a number of temptations. And it says that the devil came to him and he said to him, I will offer you the entire world if you just bow down and worship me. Now, why did he say that? Because he's trying to wreck Jesus's purpose. If he can wreck his Purpose, there's no reconciliation. So he's, he's trying to wreck his purpose. By the way, when, while we're on the subject of the world, why didn't Jesus just turn around and say to him, you can't offer that. It's not even yours to give. Why didn't Jesus just call him on it? Don't you think it's kind of interesting that Jesus didn't say anything to the devil at that point? He's saying, you're writing checks that you can't cash. He actually never said that to him. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because if you read back over the story, you'll understand that when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He gave them authority. And when they obeyed sin and when they did what they wanted to do, and when they walked away from, from God, they actually lost their authority. And thus it says that sin came into the world and it reigned. Now when sin, it says that sin reigned from the time of Adam, all the way through until the day of resurrection. See, when something reigns, when it's in power, that's what it means, that it's in power. So if a government reigns, it's in power. Are you with me? When a king reigns, they're in power. Are you with me? When sin reigns, it's in power. You follow me? When Jesus defeated death and sickness and when He defeated sin, it says that death was swallowed up in victory. So from the day of Adam, sin reigned until the day that Jesus was resurrected. And when He was resurrected, out with the old government, out with the old and in with the... Amen. Come on. That's why it says in the Old Testament, so many prophecies, it says that on His shoulders will be the government. There is a new world order right now. And here it is, is that sin doesn't have to rule and reign your life anymore. You don't need to be a slave to it. It doesn't need to master you. And the resurrection was, was a sign to everyone that He's actually defeated it. It was God's endorsement of the message that Jesus would continue to preach. Now, let me explain something to you. You think that the devil tried to stop with Jesus from wrecking people's purpose? He's just as interested in wrecking your purpose because you're a new creation. You've got a new purpose. 
God's given you something. What did He give you? He gave you the ministry of reconciliation and the enemy of your soul would do everything to wreck what God would want to do through you. So He comes to you and He continues to drag up the past. You know why? Because He knows that if you're in Christ, that sin has been defeated. Now He can't do a thing about that. You with me? He can't do a thing about it. It's done. He can't throw out the old government or the new government. He can't kick it out of power. So he already knows that. So you know what he does? He just tries to convince you in your mind. He tries to convince you. He drags up the past. You know what I like to call the past? They're Klingons. That's as, that's as sci-fi as I'm going to get today. All right? They're Klingons. They're things that cling on to you. And you know what? You, you, you try to get rid of them. And it's like you can't seem to get rid of them. Can I I, I tell you something today? When Jesus died, He nailed your record of debt to the cross. Now, come with me for a minute. Because when Jesus died, that's what happened to your sin. I feel like there's been enough resurrection for one day. So could could you not continue to let the sins of your past get resurrected? Stop allowing those things to talk to you. Stop letting that voice that speaks to you that says the old is still here. Remember what you did. You're like, I remember what I did. But do you remember that it's dead? Because that's the old. That's what Jesus did when He died upon the cross. And I feel like for some people, they're still saying sorry for stuff that Jesus forgave you of 10 years ago. I remember one day, I'm at home and I'm praying. And as I'm talking to uh, God, I've never heard Jesus ever say anything like this to me. But I'm there and I'm upset because I did things and I made a mistake, you know. And this is even before I was, you know, really following Jesus. And here I am bringing it up with Him again. I said, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I remember I did those things. Now, I never heard Jesus ever say anything to me like this. But this, I'm not even making this up. This is what I felt like he said to me. He said, can you just shut up? Can you shut up? I I mean, you keep dragging this stuff up. I, I forgave you for that the moment that you asked me to. Why? I took your sins and I put them as far as the east could be from the west. That's what I did for you. I told you that the old has gone and I put that over here and the new has come. And it feels to me like every time you keep bringing up your mistakes, that you're going back to the old and you're like trying to drag it into your future. He said, could you just shut up? The best day that I ever had was when Jesus told me to shut up because I realized something. Do you know that every time I'm saying to God, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I I know I did these things. And uh, would you please just forgive me again? You know what I'm really saying? I'm really saying to Him, I'm not sure if what you did is really enough for my sins. That's why I keep bringing them up. Because I'm not really sure that your sacrifice was... Now, can you imagine 
the guts that it takes to walk into the presence of God and say, I'm not really sure you're enough for me. Because really, if I see this thing how it's supposed to be, His grace is sufficient for me. I'm made, my weakness is made perfect in His strength. He is enough for me. So He comes to me and He says, could you shut up? Stop bringing it up. I've forgiven you. The old has what? It's gone. The new has? Exactly. You see, you need to get to a place where you realise the old is gone and the new has come. You know why? Because the new you has a job to do. And I've seen this so many times. You're never going to get on with doing what you're supposed to be doing if you're always dragging up the past and living out of the old that's meant to be gone. Because you're so racked with guilt all of the time and you never come to a place where you actually think that God's made you whole enough to start to proceed with your future. So what you've got to do is just come to a place where you say, I'm forgiven. He's enough for me. And once you've understood that, the new you has got a job to do. You see, here's what Jesus actually did. Here's what He continues to do. He comes to you and He saves you. You never find Him. You know, people say that, I found God. No, you didn't. Where did you find Him? He found you. It's called revelation. And this is how it works. The moment you think you found Him was the exact moment He opened your eyes and He revealed to you the message of the gospel. You think you found Him, you didn't find Him. He found you and He saved you. And then you know what He does after He saves people? He begins to get them free. How many of you know that when you become a Christian, sometimes you still got habits that you're trying to like, you're like, you're meant to be gone. You keep coming back. You got these things that try to come back, but He begins this process of beginning to free you. How many Christians do you know that believe the message of the gospel, but they're so wound up and tied up and, you know, they're all, here's what Jesus does. He comes along and He says, let me set you free. I know that you're saved, you're saved, but now you need to get free. So He starts to free you. Once you're freed, you know what He does? He starts to add stuff to you. He starts to equip you. And then you know what He does? After He equips you, He sends you. And when He sends you, what does He send you to do? Well, we already read it today. When He sends you, He sends you to do the ministry of reconciliation. And here's the, let me put it for you really simply. Your job is to share the Easter message. Your job is to share what Jesus did. It's like one thing. I mean, how many of us know, I, I don't care what you do for a job, how many of us understand that you can be in full-time ministry and not even working for the church? You're in full-time ministry in your workplace because that's where God's put you. You got a job to do where you are. You're meant to be something wherever you are. That's your mission field. He sends you and He gives you a job to do. And your one job is to continue to share the ministry of reconciliation, which is to say, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. He's paid the penalty for your sins. And if you come to Him, He'll do something new with you. He'll give your life some kind. He'll give you a new purpose. It's like one thing. That's it. Man, you come to my house 
for dinner. If you ever come to my house, I, you know what really freaks me out? I feel very comfortable getting up and standing in front of people and talking, right? But if I have to take your tea order, man, I'm like, I'm taking notes. It's like anything beyond three cups of tea or coffee, I have no idea what you said to me. I'm like, I will come back to you. Look, I'll come back from calls with wrong products. I will make tea. I I, I was meant to make three teas. I brought out two coffees. One didn't have enough milk. I mean, I messed this up. I'm so glad that the message of reconciliation is just one thing I need to remember. It helps a guy like me, right? One thing. That's all the thing I have to remember that God has sent me and I've got a job to do. Do you understand that you're not actually saved to sit? You're saved to stand and you're saved to be who God's actually created you to be. And do you know the number one thing that will stop you from being the new you is in fact the old you? Let me say it again for you. The number one thing that will stop you from being the new you is the old you. Let me read something to you this morning. It says in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on what? The new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. Now, when I read that, it makes me really think something. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's an ice cube line. That felt so good to say that in church. Felt good. That's as close as I'm ever going to get to that, to being, anyway. I want to be a rapper. It's just that, you know, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. See, when I read what I read this morning, it sort of makes me think that putting on the new self, to me, it kind of sounds like a choice. Why would he tell you to put on the new self and to take off the old self unless (laughs) it was a choice that you're supposed to actually make. How many of you understand that you put on the new self but keep operating out of the old stuff? You know, it's like you get saved over here, but you're trying to kick these habits that keep coming back. You know why? Because you're operating out of the old stuff. And that old stuff is something that Jesus gave His life for so you wouldn't have to live that way anymore. He gave His life for that. So you wouldn't have to keep living out of the old stuff. That in fact, you could live out of the new stuff. You know, in Colossians, it says that God, He nailed a record of debt. He nailed it to the cross. That's where it's supposed to stay. It's supposed to stay buried. But how many of you, if you were to be honest this morning, would say, 
depend on your heart that even though that stuff is buried and it's old and it's not supposed to be you anymore, that it still speaks to you. From the grave, where it's supposed to be dead, it still speaks to you. And it, it tells you things. You have a new nature. You have that. The devil can't take that from you. That's what you have. You've been made new. So he just tries to get the old stuff to talk to you. Because if he can get the old stuff to convince you that that's who you really are, you'll just operate out of it. And then he's wrecked your purpose. He's done exactly what he tried to do for Jesus. And my point to you this morning is you have a new nature. So don't settle for the lies of the old one. Don't settle for what the old stuff believed. You know, when it talks to you, here's what it says. It says, give up. You will never be free of me. You'll never be free of me. Just give up right now. I'm always going to be this habit in your life. I'm always going to be your secret addiction in life. Give up right now. You're never getting rid of me. But that is a lie. That's not actually true. Because if you believe what the Bible actually says, it says, no, no, the new you has come. It's not on its way. It's here and it's now. The new you is here. So you can't believe that stuff anymore. The old you, the grave will speak to you. It says, this Jesus thing is really hard work. So you should just give up, walk away and be free. Just be free. Forget this Jesus thing, be free. That is a lie and a trap. Because the further you move from Jesus, the more trapped you actually become. The further you move from Jesus, the more entangled you become. And the only way to actually get free is to walk over Him and say, can you please help me? You don't get free by walking away from Jesus. In fact, the Word of God says, is that where the presence of the Lord is, there is, amen. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. It speaks to you, the grave. It says you failed once, you'll fail again. You gotta just give up for good. It's a lie. And by the way, if you ever give up with, for good, that's when you know that you're really done. You know why? Because when you give up, you begin to engage in stuff that is actually the old you. And then you're wrapped with guilt and you're wrapped with shame. And everything that the enemy wanted to do to you has already been done. He's convinced you that that's who you are, but that's not what the Word of God says. It says that you are a new creation. You see, you might feel like a failure. You might feel like you don't get this stuff right. You might feel like you make mistakes and maybe that's true and maybe you have failed, but here's what the Word declares you to be. It says you are more than a conqueror in Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. And so when the grave begins to shout out at you and it says, remember me, You'll never be free. 
when the devil, he comes and he says to you, give up right now. And when your guilt speaks to you and says, remember what you did and your shame begins to just get all over you and you feel like giving up, you've got one word that you speak to that situation to keep it dead and buried and your word is Easter. Because the message of Easter flies in the face of everything that the grave shouts out to you. Your message is Easter. It's the fact that, yeah, you didn't get it right. Yes, you made mistakes and maybe you're still making mistakes. Okay, sometimes habits, they have a way of sneaking back up on us, but that's not who you are. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reign of sin in power has been kicked out. A new government is in place. It doesn't have to rule you. It doesn't have to run your life anymore. Your answer to it is Easter. Do you know what the the Bible says? It says that when all the stuff is screaming out at you from the grave and saying, remember me, give up, walk away, you're a failure, you've made mistakes, the sin, the shame, the memories, that continue to play in your mind when it's shouting out all this stuff to you, the Bible says that you overcome all of that stuff by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of your testimony. Now this is how good this is. Does that sound good to you? Here's how good it gets. If you've been a Christian for 10 seconds, this works for you. It's not hard and it's not difficult. It's very, very easy. The fact that Jesus' blood has been spilt means that it paid the penalty for our sins. And the word of your testimony, so maybe your testimony, your story, you say, yeah, but I can't get anything right. I mean, I'm I'm really struggling here. Do you know what your testimony is? A testimony is a story. It's it's a true story. It's what you believe. It's your story. Here's where it gets powerful for you. Your story. I don't care how old you are. I'm looking in this room and we got people all over the place. Some people very young. Some people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It doesn't really matter. Your testimony doesn't begin at the place of your birth. Your testimony begins 2,000 years ago because that's where your stuff is buried. Your testimony is not that you're amazing and not that you're getting it right and not that you're perfect and not that you don't have habits, but your testimony is that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and that is where it's going to stay. And once you get that, the new you, Man, it has a job to do. Man, there's so much purpose in this room. God's got so much in store for you and for your life. He wants to do something with your future if you just let Him. Why don't we stand together this morning? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.